Good evening. Omicron sweeps the globe as cases explode in the United States and in New York City. Manchin says no to the Build Back Better bill. East River Park bulldozed as activists claim the city acted criminally. And the trial of Gisland Maxwell is about to go to the jury. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, December 19th, 2021. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin said today he can't back his party's signature $2 trillion social environment bill, dealing a potentially fatal blow to President Joe Biden's leading domestic initiative heading into an election year when Democrats' narrow hold on Congress was already in peril. Manchin told Fox News Sunday that after five and a half months of negotiations among Democrats, in which he was the party's chief obstacle to passage, he just can't agree. If I can't go home and explain it, to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. And that's Joe Manchin, Senator Joe Manchin. The bill would provide hundreds of billions of dollars to help millions of families with children, extending a more generous child tax credit, creating free preschool and bolstering child care aid. There's more than $500 billion for tax breaks and spending aimed at curbing carbon emissions, which experts consider the largest federal expenditure ever to combat climate change. Other provisions would limit prescription drug price increases, create hearing benefits for Medicare recipients, and bolster aid for the elderly, housing, and job training. Nearly all of it would be paid for with higher taxes on the wealthy and large corporations. It's rare for a member of the president's own party to administer a fatal blow to their paramount legislative objective, similar to how Senator John John McCain's famous thumbs down on a 2017 measure by the Trump administration to repeal Obamacare. And Anthony Fauci, the country's leading infectious disease expert, told NBC's Meet the Press today the COVID-19 Omicron variant is just raging around the world. Asked if there would be a record-breaking number of cases, he said, yes, well, unfortunately, I think that is going to happen. The sudden rise in cases make President, uh, makes President Joe Biden look bad. Biden had effectively declared independence from the virus at a White House celebration on the 4th of July, yet the global nature of the pandemic meant that the disease would evolve as others around the world waited for immunizations. Globally, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is facing increased attacks from both friends and enemies amid a surge in COVID-19 infections in the United Kingdom. On Tuesday, Johnson faced the biggest parliamentary rebellion of his tenure as 97 conservatives voted against the new COVID-19 restrictions. And at the regular questions to the prime minister held at the British House of Commons, Labour Party leader Keir Starmer accused Johnson of losing the confidence of the nation and his own conservative party. I want to get through questions. I want you all to get away for Christmas. At this stage, you won't. Here's Starmer. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister is so weak that without Labour votes last night, vital public health measures wouldn't have got through. But this country can't... This is not true. Oh, God. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> it's not true. He's so socially distant from the truth. He thinks that that's not true. I don't know where to start. We'd better press on. We can't go on with a prime minister who's too weak to lead. Afterwards, Johnson responded that he had made difficult decisions, although unpopular, that had to be done.
Some of the, he talks about leadership, some of the decisions, the tough decisions that I've had to take. I had to decide to stay out of the European ventilator scheme, so we had our own ventilator challenge, which he then, which he then, he then ridiculously attacked. I decided to go ahead, ahead of the rest of Europe, ahead of the rest of Europe with the vaccine rollout, Mr Speaker, which would have been impossible if we'd listened to him. I decided to go ahead with opening up our society and our economy on July the 19th, which he opposed, Mr Speaker, which he opposed. And frankly, uh, if we listened to him, never forget, we would not now have the fastest economic growth of the G7. It's because, it's because we took those courageous steps, Mr Speaker, uh, that we now have 500,000 more people in work now than there were when the pandemic uh, began. And, and yesterday I saw 1.2 million job vacancies, Mr Speaker. That is what Conservative governments do. They create employment. They create business opportunities. And, by all, and above all, Mr Speaker, we vaccinate, they vacillate. We jab. They play party politics, Mr. Speaker, and we get on with the job. As Boris Johnson's fortunes tumble, British newspapers are filled with reports of a potential of potential contenders for the prime minister's office. Many are focusing on the Partygate scandal, allegations that UK government officials held Christmas parties last year when COVID-19 rules barred such gatherings. The head investigator appointed by Johnson looking into the Partygate scandal was Simon Chase, the head of the civil service. He had to resign from leading the investigation after a website reported Friday that Case's department held two parties in December 2020. Meanwhile, in the United States, CDC head Dr. Rochelle Walensky laid out the grim numbers as the Omicron variant spreads throughout the United States. The current seven-day daily average of cases is at about 119,500 per day. The seven-day average of hospital admissions is at about 7,800 per day, an increase of about 4% over the prior week. And the seven-day average of daily deaths is at about 1,200 per day, which is at an increase of over 8% from the prior week. Now let me bring you up to date on what we know about Omicron. At least 39 states and over 75 countries have reported confirmed cases of the Omicron variant. And although Delta continues to circulate widely in the United States, Omicron is increasing rapidly and we expect it to become the dominant strain in the United States as it has in other countries in the coming weeks. We've seen cases of Omicron among those who are both vaccinated and boosted, and we believe these cases are milder or asymptomatic because of vaccine protection. And that is the CDC head speaking earlier, uh, I think yesterday or the day before. In New York, Mayor Bill de Blasio held a briefing on the new variant. He says, although it's spreading, the new version of COVID is, is expected to pass quickly. Right now, based on what we know, we're expecting a fast uptick and then going the other way. The case is starting to come down and we move past Omicron. We can weather that storm if more and more people get vaccinated, more and more people go get those boosters. And that's the mayor. So then we heard from Eric Adams, the mayor-elect, who says he's on board with de Blasio's policies. There will also be con continuity between his administration and mine when the new year begins so that there is no confusion or gap in our COVID response when I take office January 1st. 
The mayor and I are together on this, just like all of us as New Yorkers are in this together. And that is Eric Adams who's going to take over on January 1st. New York City's health commissioner, David Chokshi, says the vaccinated might still get sick with Omicron, but the results will be better than for the unvaccinated. And those who are vaccinated are more likely to be infected with Omicron compared to past variants. But there are steps that we can take to weaken the link between exposure and infection. Wear a high-quality mask like a KN95, a KF94, or N95. Improve ventilation or gather outdoors. And stay home if you feel sick, no matter how mild your symptoms, even just a scratchy throat or a runny nose. We can also weaken the link between infection and disease. Vaccination remains vital. And that was Dr. David Chosky. And we'll be keeping up with this story as it develops over the next week. Uh, there's a lot of information that's yet to uh, to be released. A lot of studies still being done and most of the evidence coming from the uh, cases in South Africa. So uh, it's yet to be seen how this is going to play out in the United States. In more international news, a leftist millennial who rose to prominence during anti-government protests was elected Chile's next president today after a bruising campaign against a free market firebrand likened to Donald Trump with 68, uh, pardon me, with 68 percent of nearly 50,000 polling stations reporting. Gabriel Boric held 55 percent of the vote compared to 45 percent for his opponent, lawmaker Jose Antonio Cost. Cost recognized defeat and called his opponent to congratulate him on his grand triumph as supporters of Boric gathered in downtown Santiago to celebrate. If Boric's lead holds, he would be the first candidate elected president after losing the first round. He was able to reverse the difference by expanding beyond his base in the capital, Santiago, and attracting voters in rural areas who don't side with political extremes. Cost proclaimed in the final stretch, I'm not an extremist. I don't feel far right, even as he was dogged by revelation that his German-born father had been a card-carrying member of Adolf Hitler's Nazi party. Boric, who is backed by a coalition of leftist parties that includes Chile's Communist Party, brought more centrist advisors onto his team and promised that any changes would be gradual and fiscally responsible. And back to, to home, closer to home, with the destruction of East River Park and the east side, the Lower East Side of Manhattan, beginning this week after a nail-biting series of courtroom standoffs, Residents opposed to the, the, the demolishing of the 50-acre park and the cutting down of a 1,000 trees are licking their wounds as planned supporter Councilmember Carlina Rivera declared that the opponents don't speak for the community, at least not the ones most directly impacted by Hurricane Sandy's flooding nine years ago. The progressive council member and her supporters have been stung by the accusation of not being in touch with the community. In response, Rivera says the opponents, they are the ones that don't speak for the neighborhood. And they trotted out a new group, the Frontline Communities Coalition. They say represents NYCHA residents on the front line of climate change. But local activist Eileen Miles counters that plenty of people from NYCHA and others supported them, as well as people from indigenous backgrounds. And they were part of an international movement that sees a different way of handling the problems brought on by climate change. He says, she says of the uh, progressive group CODA, Committees for a uh, Coalition for a Democratic Alternative that backed the local political club in the Lower East Side that backs Carlina Rivera, says they, what, what do they stand for, she asks. What do they stand for? And she had this to say. One third of the trees are gone. You know, there was 991 trees in that park and now 
there's something like 600. What's shocking, of course, is that this is the weekend and the city is not working on the park. But every weekend since the TRO lifted, they worked 24-7 around the clock. They were acting like criminals because they didn't know which way the court case was going to go. The city's behavior is very unlike the way they work on public projects. I mean, it was clearly a land grab for the interests in the city government that needed to get this thing done by hook or by crook, and they didn't care if it was illegal, they were going to take that risk. Coda and the councilwoman had their own protests where they claimed oh, uh, yeah. folks were racists, basically. This long-time progressive organization in a lot of people's minds. That's an extremely lazy attitude. Now, I don't support the politics of the state of Israel. In fact, I don't even support there being something called the state of Israel because Palestinians live there too. It's immoral, it's wrong, and it's apartheid state. And there are people who will tell me that by saying that I'm anti-Semitic. And I think it's the exact same argument. This is ridiculous. Is that all they have to stand up against a project that is basically taking away the health and well-being of an entire neighborhood is racist? Is that because our city councilor is a woman of color? Is that because a lot of people in NYCHA are people of color? Because we have people of color in our group and we have indigenous defenders. You know, people, our group is actually connected to a global project of trying to save the land, save the trees. It's so short-sighted for that group to call Chris Marte a tree hugger when he is one of the few politicians, along with Eulene, who have actually, and Scott Stringer, who have actually opened their traps and said this is a complete disgrace. I think it's pathetic. I think Tree it's huggers sounds like you know? what they say in California to the uh, tree sitters and to the environmentalists there. It makes me think, are the tree-cutting interests behind this? Look at the plan for ESCA. There's, there's no grass. It's astroturf. This is, and I wait, I wait not with great <laughs> glee, but I just wait to see if we even get a park like they describe. I mean, because because we did not get alienation from the state, that means there's no transparency in this work project. They can basically do anything. If the city runs out of money, which they will, they're going to bring in private developers. And those developers will say, okay, we'll finish part of your park, but we've got to put up a couple of high rises. I think it's hysterical, their demonstrations now. What do they stand for? Destruction? We're talking about a community where there's, they know it, there's asthma in NYCHA. Because of asthma, there's a lot, the COVID rates were really high. And when you take down those trees, it will all be higher. And when you have all that particulate matter, when you have a million tons of fill, it'll be even higher. They acted as if people died in Sandy in the East Village, and they didn't. Nobody died in the East Village or the Lower East Side during Sandy. But they did die in Staten Island. Carlina voted to put a big box store in the wetlands. The wetlands were the only thing that were protecting the people in Staten Island. And most recently in Graniteville, a neighborhood of color, a poor working class, lower class neighborhood of color, lost their wetlands and got a BJ's big box store. So tell me about it's just like if the city of New York does not care about NYCHA, they have rats. The city does not take care of that housing at all. Why would they be building a big, wonderful park to protect people? It's double talk. 
And that's local activist Eileen Miles. As reported in the Village Sun, a community newspaper on the Lower East Side, as much of the speakers at the rally held by the group supporting Carlina Rivera and the project trumpeted their resiliency plan, they trashed the protesters, branding them as outsiders, racist liars, even crazed January 6th like rioters and arsonists. Meanwhile, Christopher Marte, the incoming District 1 City Council member, was mocked as a tree hugger. And they say they're in touch with the Lower East Side community. Hmm. And in another piece of local news, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial is apparently winding down as the Jerry Jeffrey Epstein Associates legal team prepares for closing arguments as she continues to deny she was involved in the abuse of women, underage women, many of them who were uh, apparently or allegedly uh, uh taken advantage of by Epstein. After the defense rested on Friday, Maxwell appeared before a judge in an unprecedented Saturday morning conference when she discussed with her defense team how to describe the elements ahead of her next trial date. Her legal team and the prosecution met to discuss not only jury deliberation instructions, but also what language would be used to describe the case at her next trial. That includes the approved request that the judge will refer to the 59-year-old as Ms. Maxwell, not the defendant. It's been announced that Maxwell decided she'll not testify in her trial, and she had been said to be too fragile to take the witness stand. We uh, spoke with Vicki Ward over uh, a few days ago, and she is uh, working with a group doing a documentary for Discovery Plus and has known both and interviewed both people in the trial, and she had this to say. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo. Socialite Ghislaine Maxwell's legal team is seeking to call lawyers who represent three of her accusers to testify when her defense case opens in federal court in New York tomorrow. Prosecutors have asked Judge Allison Nathan to block the three lawyers from having to testify. Defense attorneys have said they plan to call up to 35 witnesses, an unusual number, including three who have requested to testify anonymously. A family spokesperson said Maxwell is unlikely to testify in her own defense as she is too fragile. The salacious testimony of sex escapades involving underage women and famous men, allegedly organized by Maxwell, has his own elephant in the room. Financier Jeffrey Epstein, who killed himself in the federal lockup in Manhattan. Vicki Ward is executive producer of Chasey Ghislaine, which is currently streaming on Discovery+. Plus. She also knew separately both Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. You can see what's coming. The defense has been very clear. Its strategy is about three M's, uh, memory, manipulation, and money. And they claim that the accusers in this case were interviewed by the government with the FBI presence. There are records. And that they were manipulated when Jeffrey Epstein died. Greedy civil lawyers manipulated them into cooperated about Ghislaine, the defense arguments, they changed their, they basically, they changed their story in order to get money from the Epstein Compensation Victims Fund. That will hold up, we'll have to see. They might actually have a legal strategy to win. They hope so. I mean, we're going to have to see. I mean, there is no question that this trial is more complicated than the straightforward, the more straightforward, uh, trials of people like Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby because um, the person who was supposed to be on trial, Jeffrey Epstein, is dead. It is made more complicated by the fact that every day we keep hearing about the heinous sex crimes committed by a man who managed to escape justice all his life 
I guess we will see how this shakes out. I mean, it's going to be the timing is also going to be interesting because if the defence only lasts two to three days, which is what they said when we broke at the end of last week, that means that closing arguments will happen right before uh, the Christmas break. And there is concern that's been expressed by the defence that the jury may want to rush to convict before the Christmas break. And the judge the judge has listened to that and has, has said she's going to think about it. But it is a real problem, I think. Is this a story about... Israeli spy networks interconnected with the with mobsters and and uh, 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 people on the edge of being mobsters and uh, and legitimate business people, or is it just a retelling of Glengarry Glen Ross or Death of a Salesman and banality of evil and all that? <laughs> the the frustrating thing from a journalist's point of view particularly from my point of view, having sort of covered Jeffrey Epstein since 2002, is that he was undoubtedly a very complicated, mysterious character. We still don't know where all his wealth really came from. There are many people who say that he was a spy, there are many people there are some people who say he had mob connections this trial unfortunately is not going to provide any answers about any other dimension of his life other than his sordid sex life but the 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 um to your point you know the mystery about who jeffrey epstein was uh remains a mystery and uh, it's not going to be this trial that gives the answers. Hopefully there are trials coming, potential trials coming down the pipeline. That may uh, give us more indication of what, you know, his, his, where his money came from. That may end up, you know, the trial between David Boys and Alan Dershowitz, uh, who are trying to get each other disbarred. Dershowitz certainly wants to call Leslie Wexner, who was uh, one of Jeffrey Epstein's clients, to the stand. So, you know, there is a chance that we may learn more, but there's also a chance that we'll never know. Is this something that's going to contribute to Me Too, or is it just so out in left field that it really, you don't know what to make of it? If it wasn't for the Me Too movement, Jeffrey Epstein would never have been rearrested, and nor would Ghislaine Maxwell. I mean, this whole story happened in plain sight. I know that all too well. And Jeffrey Epstein reckoned that he'd already paid a price for his sex crimes when he went to jail with a ridiculously cushy sentence in 2009. And it was only after the Miami Herald did its excellent series that wasn't really reporting on anything new. The difference was that this time, in the middle of the Me Too movement, 10 years later, Congress was outraged. And because Congress was outraged, the FBI decided they better take a second look. That is why we are where we are now. So no, the, the Me Too movement has everything to do with this. Why didn't his friends and the people around him say anything if they knew what was going on? So here's the question.
question. Did they know what was going on or did they just think that Jeffrey Epstein hung around with sort of models in their 20s, which is a bit seedy, but it's not illegal? And how many people really knew and who thought he just had an eccentric lifestyle but didn't know? I mean, one of the things that the defense is going to talk about is the halo effect of Jeffrey Epstein. They're going to have a psychological expert talk about how certain very narcissistic sort of sociopaths are able to compartmentalize their lives and dazzle people so that people only see what they want them to see. One of my frustrations is because I, I sort of want to report on the socioeconomic pyramid that supported this man, which they were rich men. And it's a great question. What did they know? What did they not know? Unfortunately, this trial is not going to give us any insight into that. We hear about these powerful men. We've heard about Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, various billionaires being on Jeffrey Epstein's planes, but that's the only mention there is of them. There's no explanation as to why they would have been on the planes, unfortunately. Vicki Ward is executive producer of Chasing Ghislaine, which is currently streaming on Discovery+. Plus. Les Wexner is an American billionaire businessman, the founder and chairman emeritus of L Brands and Victoria's Secret. He had a close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. In related news, two judges in New York ruled that a secret Jeffrey Epstein settlement deal that Prince Andrew says shields him from a sexual assault lawsuit should be made public. The deal was signed in 2009 between Epstein and Virginia Roberts Jeffrey, who is suing Prince Andrew for allegedly having sex with her three times when she was 17. He strongly denies the allegation. And that's some of the news for Sunday, December 19th, 2021. The news is produced with Max Schmid, our uh, producer, Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. came to you live with portions on recordings here on WBAI New York, 99.5 on the FM dial, streaming at WBAI.org. And it's now 6.30 p.m. Stay tuned for Imhotep, Gary Bird, and the Mind Flight.